Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Word Processing. This is Andrew. I'm here with Josiah. Josiah, good to see you. Good to see you, as always. We are here today uh, going to discuss last week's sermon. So as always, if uh, you're listening to the podcast, but you haven't checked out that sermon, feel free to go to our website, oakridgebiblechapel.org. Uh, you can check out uh, this week's sermon. You can check out other blog posts and podcasts. And uh, Josiah, we just got a new website recently, and you're just flooding it with content right now. There's so much great stuff on there. So I really encourage you, if you haven't checked out our website and the new the new stuff there, go check that out. But especially listen to that sermon before you listen to this podcast or else, man, it's a, it's a doozy. So you might get lost pretty quickly. Now, Josiah, this week's sermon, we're going to go right in because it was it was a little bit longer than your norm. And uh, I remember when you told me the text that you were going to be looking at, I remember immediately being like, oh, there's no way that this is going to be one of those short little messages. This is not a half an hour message at all. And yet I've got to say, you know, Sometimes longer sermons feel long, and I don't think that this one did at all. I think, for me at least, I was grit to everything you were saying, or rather what the text itself was saying. Um, And I think it's maybe because I haven't really spent a lot of time noticing just how interconnected these three chapters, and really the entirety of Romans, but these three chapters are connected. Um, And you really did a good job of of pointing that out, and it uh, it was gripping, for me at least. That's the spiritual gift of flattery on display. <laughs> well, before we jump in, I'm just going to acknowledge then that with a sermon like this, that both goes very deep in some huge, huge issues of the faith, while also broaching a very wide variety and array of topics, the questions that I've been thinking about for today might be a little more eccentric than usual or a little more specific. Uh, so Josiah, your task today may be to take something that's super convoluted in my head and translate it into something clear and understandable while it's still being interesting to the listener. So uh, easy peasy, right? Easy peasy. I can ask for your help for that as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that all being said, I'm curious just to get started. You know, sometimes in this podcast, we like to talk about the behind the scenes of preaching. And I'm curious how you as a preacher approach something like this. It's a little more topical than maybe you would normally go to. It's very different than, say, preaching through the pericopes of Matthew one at a time in order. But how do you look at, say, Romans 12 and realize you need to preach through 13 and 14 as well? They're all connected. Yeah, it was actually kind of the opposite as is usually the case. You know, I was I was looking at Romans 13, 14, and 15 um, at first because when we started this series, the thought was to, as our listeners have heard, it was to talk about what we can do as a church family during this time. And so I wanted to find texts that highlighted the body of Christ hmm. and universal callings to the body of Christ that transcend time, space, and circumstances. And so that was the goal. And so the way I'm wired, I'm looking for texts that do that, passages, passages of scripture that do that. And immediately I started thinking of the one another commands in scripture. In the hmm. New Testament, a lot of one another of commands, which obviously is corporate. It's doing things with one another. Yes. And right away that brings you to the back half of Romans, like Romans is chock full of one another, one another, one another. And so I started actually reading in Romans 12, it talked about the spiritual gifts of serving one another. And then as I kept reading, I saw these other one another passages or these one another commands coming out, like to love one another and to accept one another. Hmm. 
And then I just started thinking about how all of these fit together. And these are great calls for us as a church to do these things for one another in community, even when we're apart. But then I started asking the question of myself, well, how can I do this? Where's the fuel for something like this, for these types of calls? And as I looked at the context, I started realizing that these are all kind of stemming out of that transition point of the book of Romans, which is Romans chapter 12, one and two, where Paul has just wrapped up this dense doctrinal treatise hmm. and then is now turning to the practical and saying, okay, therefore we must do these things. And so it really was kind of backwards. I was looking at these one another passages and then it funneled me personally down to those first opening two verses. And that what I called, ended up calling the root of, uh, that would eventually produce the fruit that we highlighted. Hmm. Now, it's super interesting to me. I'm, I'm sure that it'll be interesting to to other people as well who maybe don't know some of the behind the scenes. But yeah, it's I always have appreciated the way that even when you're approaching something that's topical, you you say, I want to find a text, not just smattering throughout the Bible or fr- trying to find proof text, but I want to find an area that we can camp out that we can go through. Um, maybe it's just because I'm, I tend to think similarly as a preacher as well. But I, I really appreciate that we can actually spend time working through a text, especially in this case where it's something, you know, we might not do a full series on the book of Romans for months, years, who knows, but to be able to take a chunk of that and and work through it together as a congregation, I think is really exciting and, and a nice break every once in a while. You know, it might be a good lesson, even just for our listeners to think through when they read scripture, there's always the danger that when we go to the word to address a specific issue or a specific need or a specific question that we want answered, and we go to the word to address whatever that is, there's always the risk of shoehorning a text into that uh, that that uh, need that we have. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's ever illegitimate. That can be, but it takes a lot of work because we have to go to the word and ask the question, is this really what it's saying first off? And then, so it's just, we're kind of working backwards. And so that's why typically our, our normal diet on Sunday mornings at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel is just going through books of the Bible because that really eliminates that problem. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to a text looking for it to answer a specific question. We're letting the text dictate what we need to hear and what we need to learn and how we need to be shaped. And so even when our listeners or people in the church, or even you and I, when we go to the word on daily basis to just read mm-hmm. through in the morning or whatever, it's really important to be cautious of what we're maybe inadvertently importing into the text and not making the text say things that it's not meaning to say and not trying to say. There's been much damage done mm-hmm. uh, when when people do that uh, inappropriately. It's kind of almost the bittersweet of concordance use, one might say. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that idea that concordance as a tool can be really helpful to find topics or texts that refer to something that we're thinking about. But if we look at those as the exclusive reference in scripture to that topic or that issue, or just take that verse completely by itself out of context, it doesn't really necessarily help us in our understanding of scripture as a whole. Yeah. Even when you're reading through things, like you mentioned the resources that we're building online, you read through perhaps a blog post or an article. And after a statement, oftentimes the author will put in parentheses a couple of references. Mm Mm-hmm. It's important to check those references, not just the verse maybe being referenced, but the context of that verse. Is that verse really being used appropriately? Is it being used to proof text something that it didn't actually mean that was kind Mm -hmm. of foreign to the original authors? Hopefully we're not doing that, Mm -hmm. but that is a danger. And so uh, proof texting is something we want to avoid. And this is going back to, again, Sunday morning and trying to 
address a specific need of our church, which is very Mm -hmm. real. The prayer is that we do that faithfully by looking at the text in its context and seeing that this actually does speak to the issue we're wrestling with at this time. Hmm. So taking from there, let's talk about one of those issues then. When discussing Romans 12, 2, which I'll just read here, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, when you were discussing this first, you said something, and I'm going to quote from your manuscript. It might have been a little bit different uh, in the live version, but I remember what you said had me doing one of those mic drop moments where I was like, oh, boom, that's a, that's a statement there. You said something like this. Every person is being transformed, discipled, molded. The question is, into what image? Is it creation or creator? The world out of which we've been saved or the God who has saved us out of the world? And I remember when you said that creation or creator, what image are you being made into? That was what hit me. And I think this is such an important issue. And I think it's one that we all as Christians struggle with at times, because the reality is, is we live in and exist in a fallen world right now. And yet we're called to live set apart as those saved from sin. It can be a bit of a a catch-22 or a paradox at times in our minds. Now, I know people often point to this passage along with 1 John 2 when talking about the idea of being in the world, but not of the world. So I guess my question is, you know, pastor us through this. How do we as Christians live in a fallen world, live amongst unbelieving friends and family members, and still show Christ's love to them while understanding that by the very nature of our salvation, we are citizens of a different realm, so to speak? I know it's a huge question. I know we can't dive into all of that, but I think just at least on the surface, how do we, how do we do that? Yeah, it's a good question. It's an important question. <laughs> I, I think I would start by qualifying that often quoted phrase that you rightly use, this idea of being in the world, but not of the world. Um, and you pointed to the texts that are often used to bolster up that statement. But we should recognize that that is sometimes abused. Well, it's not an actual biblical quote either. I think sometimes people right. think it is. Right. And so we just want to be very cautious. In a sense, it's very true that we're in the world. I mean, very obviously, I'm here, you're there, we're in this world, and this world is not our home. And it's very clear that, you know, we've been through Matthew recently. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about salt and light, um, that we are salt of the earth and and Mm -hmm. light. What he's talking about there is that we are salt and light in that we are very different from the world. Mm -hmm. In fact, as we become more like the world, we become less effective. So I just want to be very cautious. Sometimes people say we're in the world. And so we kind of become a little bit like the world just enough to win the world. And that's very dangerous. I don't think the New Testament leaves room for that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it's we are different than the world, period. Yeah. And we can think of lots of examples in the New Testament that highlights that. I think of the upper room discourse when Jesus mm-hmm. is very clear in John 15. He talks about how the world hates you. Why? Because it first hated me. So of course it's going to hate you. It wouldn't hate you if you weren't of the if you were of the world, but since you're not of the world, it's mm-hmm. going to hate you. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. We are not of the world. Mm-hmm. And so as that's the first thing I just want to, to highlight is that as Christians, especially those to whom Paul is speaking in Romans 12, 1 and 2, these are Christians who long to become increasingly pleasing to the Lord, increasingly uh, shaped into his image. We need to understand that we will grow increasingly progressively and necessarily unlike the world. Mm-hmm. That's just a reality. Yeah. You know, as we become more godly, we will become less like the world. So just accept that. And most of our listeners probably have accepted that. That's just the reality that we will increasingly not fit in. We will sit at the uncool table in the cafeteria of the world. That's mm-hmm. just our lot from now on. 
Um, now we take solace in the fact that we're sitting at the the accepted table in the heavenlies mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. So that gives us some uh, <laughs> some comfort, I guess. You're bringing back some flashbacks from high school here, just like it's uh, dangerous territory right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's switch topics really quick. Yeah. Uh, so I would say secondly, so, so first anticipate that, that, that we will be progressively unlike the world as we grow in godliness. And then second, I would just say lean into it. Mm-hmm. Like, like accept that and just lean into it. In Matthew 5, again, when he talks about Jesus talks about salt and light, he says, uh, don't hide that lamp under a basket. Who does that? He asks mm-hmm. rhetorically. No one does that. Understand that the most loving thing that we can do is to show the people around us Christ, mm-hmm. is to show his love, his way, his salvation, which will be abrasive to the people around us, uh, mm-hmm. potentially, right? Well, Jesus himself says that, as you pointed out today. Yeah. And Jesus says in elsewhere in Matthew, he says that unless you hate and he enters family members here, mm-hmm. uh, or unless you love me more than your yeah. brother, sister, mother, father, you're not worthy of me. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not saying don't cherish the people around you. Obviously, that's contradicting other commands. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is, is relative to how much you desire me, to please me, those other relationships should not matter. Mm-hmm. And so you think about our relationships in this life and the people closest to us, if they don't know the Lord or if they're living in sin or whatever the case may be, as I grow in Christ likeness, longing to be like him, longing to please him, longing to honor him. If it bothers the people around me, I mean, so be it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to lean into it, knowing that this example, the light that only Christ brings is what they need most. And so mm-hmm. it, it's not an easy calling. Uh, to be a disciple of Christ is not an easy calling, but we have comfort in in many, many other ways. The rewards are great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting how often, and I'll be careful how I phrase this, I guess, but streams of Christianity that are trying to be more mainstream, I guess, are more accepted, point to you know all the followers that Jesus had and the people who loved what he had to say. And they conveniently seem to forget all the people that literally murdered him because of what he was saying. And he was challenging the norm. He was challenging the ideals of the society at the time. And and they put him to death for it. And they tortured him for it. It wasn't just all fun Jesus times. Let's go listen to a story and get a free meal all the time. And it wasn't just him. Like if it was just him, that's one thing. But then his followers after he ascended, Mm -hmm. they experienced much the same reality. Now, I want to be careful. Like we're not out looking for a fight. We're not out looking to... um, exaggerate our differences in the world and to, to shove it in the face of the world kind of thing. No. It's just we are so focused and enamored with the beauty of Christ and wanting to be like him that inevitably, you know, and necessarily we will become increasingly unlike the world hmm. and the world as they did to Jesus and his apostles after him, they will respond to that in a variety of different ways. Some will love it and ask for more. Some will hate it and some will be um, appalled by it. And that flows perfectly into my next question, which is, I mean, you know, I love a good illustration and you didn't disappoint this week with your root and fruit analogy. But one thing I really want to emphasize, and you said this on Sunday, but I think it's important to to kind of say it again, is that we must tend to the root in order to grow the fruit. Uh, it can be easy to focus on those fruits, you know, to to be really practical, to focus on the actions, to come out of a sermon like Sundays and say, I need to serve more. I need to love more. I need to accept more. And those are all fantastic things. And, and you challenge us to, to even pick one of those things that maybe we struggle with and, and do it better or ask for God's strength to do so more like him. But if we just focus on the fruit without tending to that root, we're doing so completely in vain. We're doing so in our own strength and we're destined to fail 
every single time. And, and honestly, we're just kind of missing the point. Um, so I just really want to give you an opportunity, Josiah, to remind us and maybe give us some practical advice as to what it looks like to tend to the root in this scenario. Yeah, just to remind us that Jesus, again, going back to Matthew even, Matthew 15, you can tell I've been studying a lot of Matthew lately <laughs> on the tip of my tongue, but yeah. uh, Jesus made a pretty big deal about motives during his earthly ministry. In fact, in Matthew 15, I think it is, he talks about, it's not what goes into the mouth hmm. that defiles. It's not food that goes in. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles. And so it, it's it's the motives behind the actions. And and in the um, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he often talks about, here's what you think righteousness is. It's hmm. so much deeper than that. The motives yeah. really matter. And so we need to obviously take care of our motives and to watch why we're doing what we're doing. And then in addition to that, to try to make myself serve uh, the church, to try to make myself love the church, to try to make myself accept the church, to me sounds exhausting mm -hmm. and discouraging and bound to fail, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> I I just, I I will not be able to consistently do that in a way that I could actually say, this is pleasing to the Lord. This body of work of mine is pleasing to the Lord. I could not come up with that. Mm -hmm. if, if we didn't have Romans 12, 1 to 2, and then the first 11 chapters of Romans that, that it sits on top of, I think that those admonitions to, to serve one another and to love one another and to accept one another would be uh, heavy, would be a, a, a burden. Um, I've often yeah. shared the story of of early in my life when I realized and the Lord convicted me of the fact that I had a quick tongue and was saying, uh, not using it the best way I could. I was often find, oftentimes finding myself regretting things I would say to people hmm. in exchange. And this was a long time ago, but I, I determined that I would just stop talking, right? And stop, I would just stop giving input. I would stop engaging in conversation and in discussions. And, and it wasn't until a, a professor in school called me out on that in seminary and just said, that is a stupid way. He said it much nicer than that, but that's just a, a foolish <laughs> way to, to solve this problem. It doesn't actually solve the problem. No, it doesn't. I'm still thinking the things. I'm still doing all that. He said, instead, the root of the problem is your, your heart is not filled with mm -hmm. the good things that your tongue can dip down in and bring up out of that well good things. So instead, fill the well with good things and then let the tongue go. Just let it do what it does. Mm -hmm. So it's just an example of dealing with the root instead of the fruit, which is this quick tongue. Now, I'll never forget that because that really shape the way that I think about all ways I try to please the Lord and serve him. Hmm. Am I dipping down into a godly well when I try to serve him? Are the motives godly? Are they pure or as pure as are they progressively becoming pure? And so you go to our passage from Sunday, you know, and I could, I think I could, especially, you know, new year's resolutions. I could construct a plan to serve the body better, to mm -hmm. love the body better, to accept the body better uh, in order to please God or, I could go to the root and make sure that I'm offering my body a living and holy sacrifice to God in worship, motivated by his great mercies. Yeah. And for me, that's the same as filling my heart with good things. If I just obsess or am constantly enamored by the mercies of God in my life, why would I not offer myself back to the Lord hmm. when I find him trustworthy, when I find him gracious, when I find him loving um, without blemish. He's completely and perfectly those things. Mm -hmm. And as I discover those more and more, why would I not trust myself in all of myself to him? Mm -hmm. And as I do that, I become more like him. I become um, 
less enamored with worldliness. It's just, it doesn't have the same appeal. I become more enamored with godliness, more like him. And then naturally out of that, I just think I will serve one another. I will serve the body. I will love the body. I will accept the body. And so that, that would be the kind of the, the, the mindset behind the entire message and behind, behind really, I think the back half of Romans. So I think your original question was, how do we do that? You know, how do we be transformed? How do we move from, uh, from worldliness toward godliness? Well, if we look at Romans 12, I think it really does give us the answer to our question. And then practically we can flesh that out together. It says, uh, do not be conformed to this world, which we are progressively becoming unlike right? But here's the alternative, be transformed. That's passive. It's being done to us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think I mentioned on Sunday that I take that, at least part of that renewing of my mind to be connected with verse one, the mercies of God, all that he's done for me. So as I renew my mind and wash my mind with the realities of all that God has done, is doing, and will do for me, I move away from worldliness and toward godliness. And as you go through scripture, this idea of the word washing us and sanctifying us, mm. John 17, 17, Jesus praying on our behalf, Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then I think in Ephesians 5, in that marriage passage where just before Paul transitions from husband and wife to the church in Christ, he tells the husband to set his wife aside and sanctify her, wash her with the mm. word. So so this idea of us being set aside pro- progressively, that's what sanctification means, being yeah. washed, set aside by the word every yeah. time, which extols the mercies of God he's poured out upon us. So it comes back to this over and over again through scripture. How do I avoid being conformed to this world and instead be transformed by the renewing of my mind? I just fill it with the realities of the mercies of God, which are inexhaustible, you and I know, and our listeners know. We will never run out of things to explore when it comes to the mercies of God, right? And so continually understand those and the mysteries of God and the things he's revealed and just be overwhelmed by them. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say, perhaps, maybe harder to do on a consistent basis, but at its core, that's what it is, is allowing the word of God, which is living and active, wash us, correct us, rebuke us, train us for righteousness and do what it does. It will not return void. Be in the word, meditate on it, pray it. Um, yeah. To fully immerse ourselves in it, really. Great word. See, you said it so, I went rambled on there for what, five <laughs> minutes. And you said, immerse yourself in the word, done. <laughs> <laughs> just take, I'm just, I'm piggybacking off. I'm taking credit here for all of the incredible things you just said. And I can, you know, come in and make it sound like I'm smart and I can actually interact with what you're saying. Immerse, yes. <laughs> so maybe on a practical note, I'll say this. This is, I think it's always been a big issue for Christians, uh, but I think particularly today with the internet age and stuff we're living in, we have many sources of truth vying for our attention, saying this is true, this is true. No, that's true. No, this is true. As Christians, and in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's very clear what is going to be that which dictates how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see what's wrong with the world, how we see all of that? What is going to be that source of truth that determines how we view reality? And for the Christian, as we allow our minds to be shaped by the word and the mercies of God, it has to be that thing that we read all other truth claims in this world through the revelation of the word and not the other way around. 
it is very easy to fall into the trap of reading the Bible through the truth claims of this world. The truth claims of this world that, by the way, have changed every decade or every century or every every millennia. They are always shifting, whereas the word of God stands forever. It does not change. And so as Christians, that's a discipline. For 21st century Christians, as I go to the word and wash my mind with the word, I need to understand that this book, this revelation of God is going to dictate and shape how I understand every other truth claim that is out there. Mm-hmm. And that's just a very important discipline that Christians need to pay attention to. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll end kind of here, Josiah. Um, this is one of those more statement than question moments that I love to spring in on you. And I purposely left this one to the end because it's maybe a little bit more of a rabbit hole. But I think it's really interesting that two of the most probably cited or referred to passages this year during the pandemic are kind of right here. You know, the, the passage on being subject to governing authorities has been cited more times than we can count by people. And the passage regarding individual conscience has been brought up a lot this year as well. And I think it's really interesting that both of these are basically right here in a row in Romans 13 and 14 connected to this topic. So I'm going to try and avoid kicking a hornet's nest. I'm going to kind of pivot into a question here and just ask, you know, given all of these issues, all of these topics and all these ideals, why is it so important for us to focus on what unites us rather than what divides? Or maybe a better question is, how do we even do that? Hmm. Well, it's important because God wants us united, not divided. Hmm. So that's important. There we go. That's the podcast. That's the answer. God wants it. There we go. (laughs) We are to be the vibrant and active body of Christ and not a dismembered corpse. Amen. We are not to be thrown apart like that. Jesus, again, I'm thinking of John 17, again, when he's praying this high priestly prayer, he Mm. prayed that we would be one. Now, again, that's misused by a lot of people. It's not unity at the expense of truth. It's unity in truth. It's Mm -hmm. unity in truth. I just find, and as I was preparing that message, I thought that that third fruit for me was especially timely to accept Mm -hmm. one another. Oh, 100%. And you you showed that. You talked about You brought up a couple simple questions and just said, hey, are these things that maybe we struggle with? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's easier, thinking personally, it's easier for me to look over there and criticize another believer for their decision rather than to look inward and deal with the rebellion of my own heart. Mm-hmm. It's always easier to to focus somewhere else rather than inside and deal with uh, my own motives and the things we've been talking about today. I got an email late last night from uh, someone asking my thoughts on other churches disobeying the government. Hmm. I just said, listen, that is between them and the Lord. These are brothers and sisters in Christ who I'm going to assume, because I don't know them, that are prayerfully wanting to honor the God we both serve. They've come to a certain decision that they think is doing that and is best for the people that they have providentially been uh, put over as shepherds. Who am I to chime in and call them to account? I'm not going to stand and give an account for them or their people. I have to worry about me my heart and the people that have been put under our care and and my brothers and sisters in Christ here. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, we haven't come to that place as our body of Christ yet. But for me to stand in judgment or condemnation of another group who's come to a different decision, I just, I think that's inappropriate and unnecessary. Like, who cares what I think about those things? Mm-hmm. So again, that's just that accept one another. Give the benefit of the doubt to these spirit and dwell people. Do I agree with them? Maybe, maybe not. But that's besides the point. Mm-hmm. 
And as you said, who cares, right? Who cares? <laughs> we live in such a hyper polemical age that mm-hmm. because of social media, the world needs to hear my opinion on, on everything, everything, on everything, even things you are not in a position that you should have an opinion or have an educated opinion on. Yeah. And I don't need that type of ego stroking that no. to, to build up this idea where the world is less if they don't hear from me on all of these issues. Yep. I have enough to worry about, like I said, in my own heart and in my family and in, I've got my hands more than full, you know? (laughs) So, so I just be accepting, look into my own heart as I examine the mercies of God that he has, is, and has promised to pour out on Josiah. I want to make sure that I am with his help, giving myself back to God in all, all of me, even those little recesses of my life that I've kept hidden from him. I want them all on display for him to make use of, to correct, to do what he needs to do. And as I do that, I'm just going to pray and trust that I will become more equipped to serve well, to love well, and to accept my brothers and sisters in Christ. Hmm. Um, It's grace, grace, grace. It's grace in justification. It's grace in sanctification. It's grace in body life. That is uh, the name of the game. And so maybe to rephrase that a bit, rather than focusing so much on you know, trying to correct others or even the piece of accepting others, but focusing more of our time and effort on our own conscience and our own faithfulness before God, before we, or rather than focusing on how other people are coming to their conclusions. I think so. I think, I think that's right. I think we need to focus on our walk with the Lord. And this is not to say again, and I mentioned on Sunday that we don't lovingly take an interest in brothers and sisters in Christ who are straying, who are doing questionable sure. things. And yep. yes, we do. I'm just saying that's our default mode is uh, acceptance, is to uh, walk in a loving relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, toward Christ-likeness together, spurring one another on to love and good deeds, even more so as we see the day approaching. Believing the best, believing that they are coming to conclusions based on their own relationship with God, their own study of the word, rather than just assuming that they are completely off their rocker, <laughs> which I know for myself can often be the case uh, for my own my own understanding or my own assumptions of other people as well. Yeah. And I think I mentioned on Sunday as well that the enemy is working hard to mm-hmm. make the cracks that are showing in the body grow, to exacerbate them, to make them worse into these massive chasms eventually that can hardly be bridged. And we as a body will come together when we do, and we will realize, wow, we have all of these broken uh, fissures in our existence. How are we ever going to get over this? And he wants to exacerbate those things. I think I mentioned, I I think that the putty that fills those cracks before they get worse is this acceptance of one another, which Mm -hmm. again is rooted in the mercies of God as seen in our lives as we offer our bodies back to the Lord. Um, We need to be very cautious, especially in a time of heightened sensitivity and heightened uh, potential turmoil to really um, bring God's grace to bear in the body of Christ. Hmm. What a great way to, to end today. And Josiah, we don't often do this on this podcast, but on occasion, I was wondering, would you be able to pray for us as a church to those ends? I know it can be, especially right now, we're in the midst of lockdown. It can be discouraging. It can be difficult because it is easy to to notice the cracks when the enemies are working to point them out. <clears throat> so would you pray for us to those ends that we would notice more what God has done and, and how he is filling in those gaps for us? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all mercy and you have poured it out upon us. You have lavished us with grace. I pray that you take our eyes and lock them upon those realities and your Son, the author and finisher of our faith, 
and that it's out of that that relationship with you that we would turn to one another and we would grow in the fruit as your servant Paul described in the back end of Romans. We pray that we would become a, a church family that does not divide, but instead serves one another, that we love one another, that we accept one another because of all that you've done for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.